Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello, and welcome to this EM360 podcast. I'm Scott Taylor, the Data Whisperer, and I'm delighted to be your host for this podcast series. I'm the principal consultant at MetaMeta Consulting. We help organizations tell their data story by reinforcing the strategic value of proper data management. Now, in today's podcast, I'll be speaking with Jeff Fletcher, Cloud Machine Learning Specialist at Cloudera. In this episode, we'll be discussing how experimenting is key when it comes to successful AI and ML projects. Experimenting sometimes includes failing, and this means organizations need to rethink how they operationalize ML within the enterprise. So, Jeff, welcome to the podcast here. Very excited to talk to you about this topic. Thank you very much for having me. Let's just kick it off right away. What technology types are applicable to machine learning? I think what has happened is that there's kind of been a whole bunch of stuff that's been lumped together. So what we often look at and refer to as data science as kind of an overall arching technology. And, and that's kind of the ability to go and look at and understand the structure of data and work out what it looks like, what the impacts are, how it relates to the different fields that you're looking at. So like internally within a, a business, you would have some data around something and you want to analyze it. What machine learning does is it takes a whole bunch of statistical methodologies and mechanisms and it allows you to kind of start to predict something around it. So the technologies that we're looking at is taking computer algorithms and training them to be able to look at data and make sense of the structure of the data and be able to make predictions about new things. Previously at Cloudera, Hillary Mason used to talk about this, that data science and analytics is the counting of things. Machine learning is the predicting and trying to guess what something will be, not necessarily in the future, but like how you can make a prediction around it. And what the technologies are is the amalgamations of those algorithms and those statistical formula into easier to utilize mechanisms that you can just take a computer put some data into it and the computer can then say, I think that a new number or a new version of that thing is X. And that's fundamentally what we're focusing on when we talk about machine learning. So can you give some context too? Because a lot of people, certainly on the business side, lump machine learning and AI, artificial intelligence together. So I'd like your more professional view of what are the differences? Where's the real demarcation line in your view? The industry doesn't necessarily know what that is. I think this is similar to how we used to think about cloud years ago. So cloud was everything that wasn't on your like infrastructure. But now we know that cloud means machines owned by Amazon or Google or Microsoft. And I think in the same way that machine learning and AI were very loosely defined at the start. And what I'm starting to see is the emergence of Machine learning is the techniques to be able to make these types of predictions. And AI at the high end is kind of more of a service. So AI is, it's I'm wanting to go and analyze this voice recording and get the text out of it. Or I want to send a picture to a service and it can come back and tell me what it is seeing inside that picture. So to me, AI is taking machine learning techniques and packaging it in a way to make it much easier to just use, but it's not having to go and code things first. It's not having to build the service. It's just using it. So you get a lot of like AI-based companies. And when I think of those, those are, I want to go and use it and it just provides me the answer that I need. I don't have to think about how. And the 
tendency is for these things, especially for complex services and complex things like image detection and speech detection. A lot of the very big providers that have lots of compute and lots of money to pay to train these services are the ones that are then starting to create them and they tend to call it AI. So like in the disambiguation to me is machine learning is what the data scientists and the machine learning engineers working at companies do. AI is a thing that you sell as a service where it can take something and give you an answer and make a prediction on that for you. Okay. You do one before the other often? Yeah. So you have to do machine learning to make an AI service. Think about it like if you have a REST service or someone like provides you a, a service, you say, I want to just add these two numbers together and send back a response. You just send two numbers and you get back the sum together. The person who writes that code might use Python underneath and they would have to use some kind of programming paradigm, but the service is just adding those two numbers. So similarly, machine learning around detecting what is inside an image, that's the hard work, that's the machine learning part. Mm -hmm. AI is a service that takes that image and says, I'm seeing a cat. So you have to do the machine learning in order to be able to provide AI as a service. but. The terms are used a little bit too interchangeably. And I think what most people in the context of an enterprise and they're trying to build something from scratch, that's machine learning. But if you're like a high-paced company, like a, a startup that and you have a service that you can work out by just scanning some PDFs, how much you're going to owe on tax, like doing something like that quickly, that to me is the service offering and the service offerings are what I would consider AI. Okay. We don't do AI because we provide tooling for people to build their own services. We help people write code and then the code can then become a service at the end. And then they would have something that would look more like AI. Obviously you're squarely focused on the machine learning part of the space. Yeah. The tricky part is that people will use the terms interchangeably. So even internally, like I'm not allowed to beat people with a stick if they use AI wrong, maybe one day. Okay. You give them a couple of chances. Yeah. A couple of chances. They need better training data to know the difference, I think. Yeah. Probably <laughs> yeah, would put exactly. it. So this other term's kind of popped up. We don't have to dwell on it too much, but this concept of auto ML. So auto ML is an, is an interesting term because I know it, it gets used quite a lot in media, specifically Google are very good at auto ML. But when you're doing machine learning and I'm creating an algorithm, my algorithm has input. So it has the data that you give it. So let's say I'm trying to detect the picture of a cat. So I give it an image and the image is a series of pixels and those pixels are broken up into numbers and the data goes through. But there are things during the training process that you can optimize to make your machine learning algorithms perform better. So like how many times must it actually run through the iteration? There's a thing called the loss function and there's kind of mechanisms that say how quickly does it try and guess that this is the correct answer? Those are things called hyperparameters. And when you are making your model better, you will try different versions and different iterations of these hyperparameters to try and get the best performing model. AutoML is the process of removing the person from that job and getting a machine to tweak those numbers to try and come up with the best performing model. The trick with that is there's a lot of very, very well covered techniques that you can just use and apply. But what's difficult is getting access to the compute because you're having to run the same experiment thousands of times. And if you're doing something like image processing or image training, that's a lot of compute. It's a lot of cost and it's a lot of sort of different processes to it. 
And the key thing is that AutoML is very good maybe at winning a Kaggle competition. So it's going to get you from like 95% accuracy to say 97% accuracy by spending a lot of money on a machine improving the hyperparameters for you. But that is like the last stage of the problem that I think anyone should really need to focus on. You need to get something in production first. And when I'm talking to customers and they're worrying about that part of the problem, they're at the wrong end of the problem. AutoML is a small part of just making a model perform slightly better, but it's not necessarily the issue that people should be focusing on. Gotcha. So a little bit of buzz around that. You've got to keep people focused on yeah. really kind of where they want, where they where they should start. And thinking about that, you know, training data is key to machine learning. Can you talk to us a little bit about training data and, you know, it takes a lot of care and feeding. So what are some of the issues you see about that beginning of the process? We often refer to this as machine learning as a team sport. And in a lot of companies now, you have separation of responsibilities. So you have the team that will import the data and then a team that will clean the data and then a team that will then start building and understanding the structure of the data, so the data science team. And then the team that's actually going to go and build that model. The training data needs to be in the very specific format for the machine learning algorithms to use it. Like one of the things is machine learning algorithms only take in numeric values. So you have to hand it numbers and like not all numbers are equal in the context of getting a good result from a machine learning process. So you need numbers that are, let's say you, you're looking at something like bank account values. Those are numbers from like zero upwards versus what you actually want is you want numbers that have like an average of zero and a standard deviation of plus one and minus one. So it needs to be in a very specific format for the machine learning algorithms to work. And the difficulty is once you've got it in the right format, the machine learning algorithms do their own thing. Like it's all been very, very well handled and well built by the academic teams and by the sort of engineering teams that have built them. But it's getting that flow to start working to make sure that the data you're getting, you're getting it in a reasonable amount of time. You're getting enough of it to actually make your predictions that the model training to be actually valid. You need to have it that it's flowing all the way through that you don't have errors in it and that's actually the difficulty that a lot of customers experience is that getting it all the way through and it also hits different teams so the starting team may do something but the next team may not know how they've done it they may not necessarily know the easiest way to get it and what i've seen is probably the biggest difficulty is moving this from stage to stage once the data is in the right format for the machine learning algorithm it's fairly quick but it's those steps all along the way, that kind of oversight from the data ingest team to the data cleaning team to the data preparation team. Those are the pitfalls that happen. And those are the things that I'm seeing where people are struggling to get that part right. So that handoff between teams, again, it could be silos. They could have differing interpretations of what needs to be done. Is there a kind of a common data governance, data management process that you go on? Part of it is there's always several opinions as to which tooling to use. So people then try and use an intermediary tool set to get the data to move between the different teams. Sometimes just a communication problem, like the person doesn't say that the data is ready, or a team might randomly add a column to the data because they think it's useful, but they don't tell the next team that that column has been added. Ouch. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and like, weirdly enough, if you hand an extra column into a machine learning algorithm, it'll crash. It doesn't know that. It doesn't know that that structure right. needs to be there. 
So this is like the difficulty is whenever people think about machine learning, they think of an idealized world in which you get all of the data in the perfect format. Like even Kaggle competitions, there tends to be like a lot of focus on making sure that the data is clean, that the data is accessible, that the data is in the correct format. Oftentimes the data is small. So this problem compounds when you get into the big data space. As soon as you have to start looking at some kind of distributed processing mechanism, those problems compound. It's kind of the bigger the data set, the harder it is to go and find a specific error in one of the rows than if you've got like a thousand lines in a CSV file. Sure. That overall kind of workflow is the impediments that happen in getting good machine learning up and running is the fact that it has to move between teams and this is not always a fluid system. Yeah, that difference between kind of a contest, which is sort of a petri dish environment versus real life in business and enterprise. There are a lot of moving parts and a lot of different things you got to be aware of. You know, thinking about that, so a lot of people get tremendous success and excitement and a proof of concept. But what thoughts, tips, pitfalls, warnings do you share with folks and do you have around going from that POC to operation and to really productionizing this? Just to round off on that that last point is that one of the things about the Kaggle competitions is the team tends to be focused end to end. So there is no exchange point like if I'm doing a POC or a project on my own and I start from data ingest all the way through to the model in production, I know every decision I've made along the way. So it is much easier for me as an individual or like one team working on the whole framework to get it done. And in POCs with customers, a lot of the time, like those are things that work quite well. But whenever I'm talking to someone, the thing that, and like this is always anecdotally interesting for me. So when I go and do workshops or like have discussions with customers and ask how many models, so machine learning models that you have in production that you've built yourself, that is adding value to the business that are in production that are doing what they need to do. The answer tends to be like, Half the people will say that they have zero models in production and the other half have like one, maybe two. So it is a very, very difficult thing to do. And the focus should always be not on how to have the best model in place, but how to have a model in place. Get something working. Get something that's delivering a result because then you've understood the pipeline. Then you've understood all of the bits and pieces that are necessary to understand, like how are your team dynamics going to work? How are you going to get that in place? How is it actually delivering a result back? Are you monitoring that model? How well is it working? Those are the things. Put the simplest model you can in place and then make it more complicated. But a lot of people focus on the thing they can control. So understanding that I can get my model from like 93% to 95% is what a lot of the internet will tell you how to do because that's within the control, within the gambit of what the pure machine learning stuff is. Every company's data environment is different. Every application that needs to integrate is going to be different. So my primary focus for people is get it in production first, then worry about how well it's performing. No, that's interesting. It sounds like people have to practice the process part of it as much as trying to formulate what the potential result might be. It's, as you say, you know, just do it, do something 
<laughs> now you've been able to do something that team handoff, that data transfer, the different perspectives along that chain are obviously places that people kind of slip up or don't have as much practice on. But great advice to focus kind of on that part of it. When data science and machine learning had its kind of resurgence, I think it was probably like 2013, 14, where everyone, like it was sort of back in vogue. I remember having a lot of discussions around people who were focused very much on like, hey, we have all of this data, imagine all of the things we could do as opposed to actually doing them. So a lot of it, I think, is people still getting caught up in the concept of this is potentially what we can do as opposed to getting into the nuts and bolts of actually delivering. And there is often sort of a lack of connection between the different teams. So a data engineering team doesn't actually know what's being delivered at the end, whereas the data scientists kind of have an idea of the structure. The machine learning people understand the end game where it's being delivered to, but that pipeline all the way through is what gets tricky. So in almost all instances, it would be focused on getting something going rather than actually having nothing in place, but uh, talking about how, like, you know, the best algorithms to use. We can get it from 93 to 98%, but we're not doing it anywhere. So how about doing something first at 93 and then getting it better later? I think that sounds like <laughs> your advice, right? So when you're thinking about that, you may have answered some of that, but if we could go a little deeper. So when you're doing a POC, what should you keep in mind during this testing about the operational side? There's a couple of things to think about. So in the context of what type of model it is, so you get different kinds of machine learning models, you get supervised and unsupervised. And like the key thing is, once a model is in production, you have to remember that the data environment always changes. So this is probably the most complex part of implementing anything in a machine learning state is. So the demo always uses a churn model. So if it's a telco and you've got like a 10% churn rate, you want to drop that. So the first part of it is actually like getting that in production. So when someone's calling the call center, you want to know if an algorithm or the algorithm that you've trained is going to predict that that person might leave. So you then start doing a mitigation strategy. So you might give them extra minutes or you might like a kind of offer them a discount. So you have a plan because you've now implemented your machine learning algorithm to do a particular thing. The difficulty of just getting that right is hard enough. But the trickier part with machine learning is that the real world can come in and change the environment to make your model no longer accurate. So if you have something in place, it's costing you money to keep running. But the actual change in the environment is your competitor has a better service than you. So all the mechanisms, all the data points that you use to predict if someone is going to leave now changes. How do you know that that's true? How are you actually measuring and monitoring the model that's in place to make sure that it is delivering according to what you want it to do. It may be making predictions around people, but they're completely wrong. So it's not just about getting it in place. It's also sort of having the oversight and understanding of the context in which it's deployed and how that environment changes over time. That to me is probably the most difficult part about good machine learning. And you'd certainly think today's environment over the last few months with the pandemic and so on, that Inputs and situations have drastically altered, and I'm sure it's thrown a bunch of these models into mayhem to a certain extent. What have you seen? Any anecdotes you can share about people kind of dealing with that mind shift? It's something that always gets to me is I'm wondering how 
accurate our weather prediction models are. So because I live in the Netherlands, there's a, a prediction app that tries to predict within like half an hour whether it's going to rain on you. So you can know if you're sitting in a restaurant outside, you need to move inside. But like climate change has very, very heavily changed the predictive components that go into these models. So that's the first one is that how accurate are they and how like effectively are we tracking backwards to say we predicted it was going to rain at 10 o'clock, but it didn't. Are we closing the gap on that? The other one that I've seen and actually seen this happen at a customer is in financial services in banking with fraud. As soon as you get very good at detecting a type of fraud, the people who commit the fraud realize that there's a higher chance of getting caught. So they don't do that anymore. What happens is the actual valid data, the actual fraudulent transactions in the data that goes through reduces to the point that the sample size is so small that your machine learning models aren't right anymore. And then you get a much higher false positive rate. So you then predicting that something is fraud, but it actually wasn't. It's just that, you know, your model is now too good. It's like gotten too accurate. And even if it's not like amazingly accurate, but you're catching, say, 80% of this type of fraudulent activity. An 80% accurate model is not super accurate, but it's going to deter most people if, you know, eight out of 10 times you're going to get caught doing that particular type of fraud. Like those are things where the environment does definitely change. Right. Interesting. You also talked about looking into what clients are doing and you said they often just say, you know, things are working great until they show you the actual work. And so what do you normally see when you open up the hood and the bonnet there and investigate what the difference between what maybe some clients say they have going on versus what you see as the reality? So given the whole team sport dynamic, if I talk to any one of those individual teams, from their perspective, things are great. So you talk to the machine learning people and they go, yep, we've got a model that's like 95% accurate. It's a really good model. And you can talk to the data engineering team and say, yep, we're collecting you know, a petabyte of data every week and it's like properly formed and in the right place. The issue is when you eventually go and ask the business stakeholder, like the person who's paid for this to be implemented because they're trying to reduce churn, the churn rate needs to be coming down Otherwise, none of that is actually useful. Like the concept of pure play machine learning science is largely like relegated back to the world of academia and the big tech giants or the startups that have you know, money to burn on 500 PhD engineers to build something new. For everyone else, there is a, a CFO somewhere along the line going, we've spent how much have we actually reduced churn? And those are the people, if you ask the question to, is it being successful, are the ones who will actually give you the most accurate answer. Okay. So it's in their perspective, successful means we met a business objective. Sometimes in a more isolated kind of semi-academic view that maybe some practitioners have when they're in an enterprise, their definition of success is, oh, the model worked. Well, it worked within this, or it's that higher, it's got you know, we increase the accuracy, but still you haven't put it into play. You haven't moved the business enough to show that it's actually produced results. Is that what you're saying? It's kind of that differentiation? Yeah, I think so. It's also the concept of a lot of data science and machine learning is that it needs to be experimental, but it's experimental within confines of actually delivering something specific. So you experiment around different types of models or different pipelines, but there is still a fundamental overarching business process. 
And those are the discussions where I'll have a discussion with the technical team who are very happy with everything. But when you go to the business stakeholders, their deliverables are different. Their deliverable is not a model that's 95% accurate. Their deliverable is a tangible business return. Because you've spent money on infrastructure, you've spent money on people, you've spent money on tooling and software. It, like, how are we accounting for what's been spent? Yeah. Do we actually complete and meet that business objective? I'm sure they could care less about the percentage accuracy in a vacuum than they do about, all right, yes. we lowered the churn rate. That was the point. And I think that tension and that dichotomy certainly exists in a lot of areas when you look at kind of IT and data and analytics versus the business intentions of an enterprise. It's not specific to machine learning, I'm sure, but you see it, that same notion show up in this particular case. Yes. And also what you, you have to factor in is that on an ongoing basis, your machine learning models may or may not be deteriorating. So it's not just about like, actually getting it done it's being able to say it's like even if you have gotten to the point you've dropped it to five percent churn from ten percent and you can attribute it to that machine learning model is it still valid in two months time like that ongoing monitoring and checking back to the i like upward business metric is that's probably the hardest thing to do and that i see very very few people getting right so how does the cloud fit into all of this Cloud's an interesting one in the concept of the notion of experimentation and access to infrastructure quickly. So we have customers that do machine learning on-prem and we have like a, a whole bunch that are doing machine learning in the cloud now as well. When you train a model, you need elasticity. So you don't want to have to go and buy 20 computers just to go and train your model and then throw them away when you're done. So going to the cloud and using that elastically, easily accessible infrastructure is particularly useful. Our worldview of the cloud is cloud providers provide infrastructure. So we have tooling and we have software that runs on top of the cloud providers. And we look at them as like very, very similar. So the same thing we would deploy on AWS gets slightly modified as to how we would deploy that on Azure, again, slightly modified for when we deploy on GCP. But it's a good place to be able to get access to machines quickly, to be able to train your models. And if you have like a full cloud strategy, you can deploy everything into the cloud. In that whole pipeline concept, that end-to-end -end thing, the economics is what needs to be considered. Like what is gonna be the most cost-effective way to have a model deployed on an ongoing basis that's constantly delivering results. For some people, the cloud makes sense. For some people, on-prem makes sense. If you have a system that's always training, you need GPU all the time, they're always running, 24-7 your models are training, then you would probably look at the economics of on-prem versus in the cloud. The cloud is a good place to go and quickly test something, and also, if you're training from time to time, you're not always doing model training or you need that elasticity, that's where the cloud makes sense. We're kind of out of time here, but I'd love to just get one last thought from you. You know, what would you love people to keep in mind when they think about machine learning? The difference between the science part of it and the engineering part of it, the science is done very deliberately, very slowly, very specifically in academia and in like the, the big tech giants. But for the majority of customers, get a good engineer and teach them the mechanics of machine learning rather than taking a machine learning specialist or data science specialist and trying to teach them the engineering of your workflows. Because we've gotten to the point where 
a good engineer can fairly quickly get to grips with most of what needs to be done from a machine learning perspective. But the concept of sort of vigorous research and science doesn't easily extrapolate backwards to good engineering. And I know the wording is somewhat like tricky because we talk about data engineers versus data scientists. But to me, someone who is very, very good at building systems that manage workflows can very quickly learn enough about machine learning to put something into production versus someone who knows everything about that particular model, but they can't make it work end to end. Oh, that's great advice. I think that plays right into what you had mentioned before. And I, I love this thought that you said about machine learning is a team sport and understanding those handoffs, understanding those process flows, those workflows feel from your perspective as is important, if not almost more so than some of the kind of academic parts of it. Thanks again to Jeff for his thoughts. Join us for the next episode when we'll be talking about the data and analytics conversation relating to cloud native architecture. Until then, this is Scott Taylor, the Data Whisperer. For the folks at EM360 and Cloudera, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the EM360 podcast. For more great content, head on over to em360tech.com. 